Okay, so, um, I don't know whether people have had a chance to catch up on, uh, if you've not been around, whether you've had a chance to catch up on what we've been looking at. Um, but the basic essence of what we're doing at the minute is we're looking at this whole, this, this kind of series, which is concentrating on this idea of uh, being known by your fruit. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about, um, he starts off the, the, um, the passage by talking about beware of false teachers. I don't think he was warning you about me this morning. Um, but beware of false teachers, um, they will be known by their fruit. And what we tried to do is grab hold of this phrase and said, okay, what does it look like to be known by your fruit? Um, so Galatians um, 5, 22 to 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit and describes all these different, basically, character traits um, that talks about these are the kind of things that will grow and, and kind of evolve in you um, if you pursue God and connect with God. So it was talking about stuff like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What it talks about is these are the characteristics that will begin to show themselves in you as you, um, I suppose, draw yourself closer to God. And those are the kind of traits that we want to be known for. We're trying to let go of this need to be classed as successful or be, be viewed as successful by other people and instead be people who really show um, that, that kind of fruit in our lives so that when people encounter you or us as a group, that's what they see and that's what they, um, they recognise. Um, because those are the kind of things I think that really begin to show the nature of God to other people. So the idea is, is that we work together as a group to talk about this stuff and nurture that kind of fruit in each of us. So we started off by looking at love, um, which if you haven't heard that one and want to listen to it, it's on the podcast. Um, so you can follow the link through the broadcast or on Facebook if you've got that. Um, and you should be able to find, um, find a link to that if you want to go and catch up on, on what that's about. Last week, though, we looked at joy um, and handed a, 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 used all of her early years um, skills um, to give us a, a kind of immersive, completely different experience, which is mainly about pushing us back into situations where we can experience joy again. So if you weren't here, it was brilliant. There was, there was loads of activities, loads of stuff to play with. Um, we all kind of stayed in together and just immersed ourselves into different things. And I found it really quite moving just looking at various things that happened throughout that morning and, and my experience of, of joy myself, but also looking at other people experiencing joy, it made me um, ask a question of myself. And my thought was, at what point do we lose that joy? You know, when you walk into a situation and a child's eyes light up with excitement because they can see the adventure before them and they run into it just determined to squeeze everything out of that situation that they can. It made me think as an adult, what, when do we lose that? At what point do we stop walking in situations and having that mentality? Um, when do we start putting barriers in that make everything much more serious? That we can't just walk into a situation and feel that sense of excitement or adventure about something we start kind of risk assessing the room or <laughs> we start kind of thinking about what's going to happen after what we're supposed to be enjoying at that moment in time there's something about the way a child is fully present in those moments that is really quite powerful and I remember at one point Ham was talking and just trying to wrap up this kind of get, share some thoughts on this whole idea of joy 
And I watched this kid called Bruce batting a, a balloon around <coughs> the room. And do you know what? Like in some settings, they would have been, they would have been told to stop. Um, this isn't the time to be batting around the balloon. We've done the playing now. It's time to just sit and be serious. But watching this kid's face, he was having such a great time, trying, desperately trying to keep the balloon off the floor. And I was like, there is a joy in that, that that we so often lose because we switch out of that mode where we can fully appreciate those kind of things. Um, and for me, joy, when I think about it, it's much deeper than happiness. It's not just about... So sometimes we talk about this word joy and people will say, oh, yeah, but I'm just I'm going through some stuff at the minute, so I'm not very happy. I don't think joy is happiness. Like, sometimes it shows itself in happiness, but I don't think it's as simple as, oh, um, you're only joyful when you're happy. Sometimes you can be going through the, the worst time in your life, but have a deep sense of joy, of appreciation, of, of realisation of, of something that actually you're just so deeply grateful for and thankful for. Um, and to me, when we, when we do things like we did last week, it's an insight into some important things we need to remember about ourselves. Um, and that's what I enjoyed so much about it, that, that interruption into my week to kind of get me to teach. Um, who was I teaching to play? Uh, it was me, Victoria and Max were playing this game called Quirkle that we play at home. And the, the, just the, the interruption in my routine to enjoy that and remember that and, and have that moment. Um, it was just really special. It made me think, actually, for us, we need to be people who plan things that give us rest and that enable you to enjoy things. I looked over at, at Graham and Mike um, colouring and they were both just settled, just not, talk, I mean, it was a, not, not talking to anyone, but they were just enjoying it. And they probably wouldn't have had a moment in the week to do something like that or chosen to have done that. But that opportunity gave them a moment to rest. And I look at it and think, actually, well, we need to be better at planning and practising those kind of things. Finding the things that we enjoy, finding those opportunities to, to just build some space and rest into our, our routines. And also practising gratitude. That's what it made me think about. If we can practice gratitude, reminding ourselves of the joy that exists and resides in so much of our lives, that's the kind of stuff that begins to, to give joy a foundation, this deep foundation within our lives. Um, so uh, thanks, Han, for last week. It was, it was a completely different experience, but it was, it was really valuable and uh, really appreciated that. So today um, we're talking about patience. I thought I'd take one of the tough ones for the team. Um, we're talking about patience. Uh, I scoured the internet and had a little look at what other people were saying about patience. And an unknown author says this, patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. Um, a guy called Arnold H. Glasow, an American businessman, said this, the key to everything is patience. You get the chicken by hatching the egg, not by smashing it. It's true. And then a Chinese proverb uh, says this, uh, one moment of patience may ward off great disaster, but one moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. So patience is, it's a tricky thing. And the question I threw out, when we introduced this series, I kind of said, how are we all getting on with patience? Um, 
And actually, how good are you at being patient? How is it? Is it a skill of yours, or is it something that actually raises uh, raises grimacing? Joe's giving her a knowing look. <laughs> um, it, it's it's tough, isn't it? How good are you at being patient? If we're really honest, probably some of us are pretty uh, are pretty good about it. Jeff was telling me how him and Sandra in the whole of their relationship haven't had an argument yet, and I was. I mean, I was, that's brilliant. They're both, obviously both very patient. I cannot say yet. yet. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, me and Hannah are exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, pa- patience is a virtue. That's what people say, isn't it? Patience is a virtue. Um, but it's tricky. It's tricky to manage it. Uh, Proverbs says this, and I, I love this because it really goes in line with what we're talking about at the moment. Uh, Proverbs 16, 32 says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than conquer a city. And when I really think about that, what I love about it is it really goes in line with what we're talking about. This kind of societal need for us to be seen as successful or powerful or achieve or win. The Bible's basically turning around saying, well, well actually, it's, it's better to be patient than be powerful. It's better to have self-control than to be classed as someone who conquers. And that, counter, that kind of counteracts what society and the world often tells us about most of the things. But I love the fact that that's there as a kind of core principle, as, as a guiding principle to the kind of thing that we should be focusing on. And actually, when we think about patience as a characteristic, it's something that we know we all need, but it can be so hard to actually put it into practice and actually be patient in all situations. And I think one of the issues is that we often think we know best. We often think in most scenarios that we actually know best. We assess what's going on in any particular circumstance. And in our great wisdom, we decide that the outcome should be X, Y or Z. And that if someone else doesn't do what we think is the best outcome, or even God doesn't do the thing that we think is the best outcome, we get frustrated and we feel irritated and, and sometimes disappointed that the outcome hasn't happened in the way that we thought it was, that it should. And uh, the challenges are kind of multifaceted to do with patience. Sometimes the biggest challenge is learning to be patient with other people. And learning how can you be patient in how you deal with other people. It might be that colleague or that friend who does things in a completely different way to you. That you look at it and go, why on earth are you doing that? That's a stupid thing to do. Um, I know the right way and you should just do this way and then everyone's lives will be better if you just did that. Or it might be your child who wants to do it their own way. (laughs) Heather's blowing in... uh, in a deep sigh of uh, my reality. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's so hard, isn't it? Even though you know the right way, can you let them try and try and try and try and continue to get it wrong, even though if you just stepped in and told them or showed them, you think that they would get it loads, loads quicker? Or it might be the parent who is determined to ignore your advice and that, that you are trying to kind of help transition and change into different ways of, of thinking or doing things. But actually, it's tough because they know best and they feel like they've got it all sussed. 
And the reality is, with patience, is that sometimes we have to let people work things out for themselves. And that requires some serious patience, doesn't it? But we, we talked a few weeks ago when we, when we looked at the subject of love, is that sometimes love is allowing someone to feel the, the kind of consequences and the effects of their decisions. That when you're trying to teach someone how to treat other people or, or treat themselves, sometimes there's an element where you have to step back and let them learn the hard way and learn resilience. So if you always intervene and always step in and always tell them how, this is how you need to do it, you control them and you never let them work it out for themselves. Because believe it or not, sometimes people learn best from making a mistake or from failing or from struggling. And that's how we develop resilience and perseverance in people. Uh, and that's how we learn about patience. And 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says it really clearly. If we want to be people who are loving... It says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. And that's the truth, isn't it? Love is patient and kind. And sometimes patience looks like stepping back and allowing someone the space and the time to work it out for themselves. Because the problem, some of the challenges with loving people is you just desperately want to help them and sort things out and fix things for them that sometimes you get in and tread on their toes and stop them being able to learn it for themselves. So if you want to be people who show love to others, then patience is the key to that. But also the other big challenge of all this stuff is being patient with yourself. It's one of the biggest challenges, isn't it? And the problem is we live in a society that doesn't encourage patience in any way, shape or form, especially with ourselves. It's almost like we're hardwired to have what we want instantly. And it's so ingrained that we expect it all the time. We live in a world of the microwave, that you can have pretty much any meal you want, a Rustler's burger, it could be anything, in minutes. There's no need to cook it or wait for it. You can just pop it in, press the button and bang, out it comes, everyone's happy. Unless you've tasted a Rustler's burger and you probably wouldn't be happy by the end of it. Um, but that's the world we live in. It's, it's, it's pretty instant. Because that's the demands of what we have. We have on-demand TV. That means basically if you want to watch something, um, you can pretty much watch anything that you want in as much quantity as you want, whenever you want. Um, Unless it's like a new series and they annoyingly do that thing where they release one episode a week, um, which seems to be coming back. Um, But on-demand TV is, is the way, like TV operators are changing the way they're working. They're taking channels off, off air and just leaving them as online things that you can access whenever you want because they're realising that people's way of their habits of watching are changing. Klarna payment schemes have changed the way you can buy things. So no longer is it just big high-ticket items you can get interest-free credit on. You can pretty much buy anything using Klarna and spread your payments over however many um, months you need them to. Because if you want something, you can have it straight away. Next day or same-day delivery is our expectation now. It's not just a benefit or a nice thing. You buy it on Amazon because you, you know you'll get it the next day. Um, whereas you could buy it from somewhere else and wait longer. But why wait? Because you can have it straight away. It solves all of the problems. Instant, instant access to our friends through multiple challenge, uh, channels um, and kind of social channels, all this kind of stuff. Do you remember the times where you'd ring your mate's house phone 
And if they weren't there, you'd just go, huh, they're not there. Whereas now you'd be sending all sorts of text messages with question marks going, why aren't you answering? And then that's what, that's what our kids do. Just loads and loads of question marks like coming, coming down because we haven't answered within like seconds. Do you know what I mean? But it's because we expect it. And if you're a real, like, if you're a real psycho friend, you'll track your friend on, uh, on, on their phone and then know where they are and go, well, I know where they are. Why aren't they answering me? <laughs> because we're used to being able to... That's what hand does to me anyway. Oh, oh you're, in, oh, you're in Starbucks. Yeah, sorry, enjoying my life. Um, <laughs> you have done that. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Just for the record. Yeah, just for the record, I don't. Just for the record, I don't text her when she spends money on Monzo. I don't text her. Is this like a relate meeting? Yeah. It is. It is. We're living out patience, our issues with patience. Um, so, anyway, back to having. So. So anyway, back to having, back to having instant access to everything. Um, the internet provides us with access to whatever knowledge or insight that you might need. If you're interested in something, you can find out that information straight away. You can, you can listen to inspiring people all over the world pretty much instantly by just going on YouTube and finding something that they've said. And you get that insight. Google has changed everything. Do you, remember, do you remember those kind of conversations? I used to have them in the pub where you'd reminisce about something and talk about, oh, what was that song on that advert? Never does anyone not know the answer anymore. Because you just go, I'll, I'll have a look. What was the um, song from the Sugarpuffs advert? Or who was that actor in the Sunpat advert? Oh, it was Grant from EastEnders. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, do you know what I mean? So, so any mystery is solved because now we can instantly access it. Because... That's the way the world works, and that's what we're used to. But the problem is, all of those elements are kind of counter-patience. They're the opposite of patience, because we've developed a society and a system where we now are completely entitled to have everything straight away. We can, we can have it all now, so why should we accept anything less than having it all now? So we get... Uh, entitled, but then we get frustrate, frustrated if things don't happen kind of when we want them and as quick as possible. But that's why we then end up getting sometimes frustrated with ourselves, maybe with who we are or what we've achieved or where we're going in life. Because the standards that are around us all the time and that we expect of other things and the situations that we find ourselves in we can then put on ourselves and feel this sense of deep frustration with, I just don't know whether I'm achieving enough in life or whether I'm winning in life or whether I'm succeeding in life. And it's because that need for significance runs deep in each of us. And, and patience doesn't really kind of have much of a role to play or an influence because we're so kind of dominated by, by that kind of stuff. And... The reality is when we connect that thing, that stuff, that struggle and with like the struggle with patience to issues to do with faith or with God, that can get really, really tricky because we're used to everything happening when we want it to. And then we get to a situation which is really, really tough. Then patience becomes something that 
can be a real battle. Maybe we're waiting for a diagnosis and we just desperately want the outcome to be this. Maybe you need God to intervene in a situation to fix something or to mend something. Maybe you're waiting for a rescue. You just want removing from a particular situation and you just need God to step in and do that. Or maybe you're hoping for a break. Maybe you just need a break in life or you just need um, a break from something. All of these different kind of things can be our reality and things that we're grappling with. But the issue of growing impatient with God can often boil down to our view of his role in our lives. That when, uh, like, if I look back at my life, I think I grew up with an understanding of God that basically, kind of, I suppose it would attribute every good thing that happened in the world to God, that it was God at work. So that, that good thing happened, that parking space was found. Hallelujah, God's at work. Um, and there's much more complex things as well, that we attribute everything good that happens to God. God sorting it out, God working in that situation, God making everything right. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's, e- it's an easy celebration. Uh, and that's, that's what you would imagine is the way it works. But the problem is, there's this deathly silence that surrounds those times where something bad happens. And no longer can you just say, oh, well, that's God at work, because... Like, really? Is that how he works? Is that what he wants to do? And, and there, there can be this deathly silence around those moments where the diagnosis was not what we wanted. The person died and we desperately hoped that they would live. Um, we didn't get that job that we were pinning all of our hopes on being able to get. Um, that relationship that we really wanted to see um, mended just spiralled into, into real negativity and, and actually it's a broken relationship. Like how do we manage in our view, like if our view of God is that, oh, well, oh, he, he sorts everything out, it's all okay. I think sometimes we end up adopting a, a kind of way of looking at God as thinking. I mean, for me, it was almost like he was the great wish granter in the sky, that you make your request to God and then, and then he'll think about it and then he'll sort it out for you. And the problem was... We just never used to talk about the times where it didn't work. We just did praise reports and then ignored all the other things. But the reality is, most of the time, I mean, I've developed quite a simple view on this stuff now. Okay. Uh, And it might be a bit too simplistic for people. But my perspective is this, is that God never promised to do everything that we asked. He never said, I will sort everything out and make sure that your life is absolutely perfect because you've chosen to follow me. In actual fact, um, John 16, 33 says this, In the world you will have much trouble, um, but take hope. I have power over the world. That's the reality. That there's no promise that it's all going to be sorted. And for me, what often I've realised is that there are times where we cry out to God and he steps in and does the most amazing, wonderful, miraculous things. And I can't deny that that happens. The thing I don't get is how does he choose when to step in and when not to? And that will forever be my mystery, my, the thing I grapple with and wrestle with with God. And I think he's fine with me having that as an open dialogue because I don't get it. I don't get how some people, I remember hearing a preacher um, describe this um, situation where he's driving along a mountaintop road 
and his car veered out of control and he physically, he, he visibly saw um, hands push his car back onto the road. So he avoided kind of certain death on this mountain road. And then I look at it and go, but my brother lost control of his car and drove into a railway-like stanchion and died. Where were the hands in that moment? Like, he prayed that morning, him and his wife prayed that he'd be safe on his journey. Sat there going, so this is my reality. That's his reality. We, we, shout, about, we shout about one of them from a stage and everyone's inspired by that story. But I'm sat there going, well, what about my story? Because it wasn't the same. And does it mean that God didn't love me as much or he wasn't interested? No, do you know what? I, I think generally the world turns and stuff happens in life. We're thrown, life throws us all sorts of curveballs. The mystery is sometimes God steps in and does something miraculous and amazing. But most, of, I think my experience, if I'm really honest, is most of the time, he just allows the world to turn. And the thing is, it's not a hopeless, you might be sat there going, man, this is a miserable talk. But it's not a hopeless message because the fact is the promise isn't that he'll sort everything. The promise is actually that he will always be with us. And that's the most important thing. Deuteronomy at 31.6, the scenario here is um, Moses and, and Joshua are, are going into a battle, um, which in those days was always a, um, a kind of moment where you didn't know whether anyone would come out alive. It was a battle to the death and you would win territory and you would... Uh, this was a, a kind of defining moment in your life and in your world. So they were going into this, this difficult situation and um, this, is what, um, this is what advice they were given. And when we read the Bible, we can learn so much about the nature of God. And I love what this passage says. So it says this, Deuteronomy 31, uh, verse 6 in the message. It says, be strong, take courage, don't be intimidated. Don't give them a second thought because God, your God, is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. And I think whatever we face in life, whatever we're going through, that is the truth. That he won't leave you. He will always be by your side, even if the worst thing happens. And this is where we get this opportunity to decide how we respond kind of post a trauma or a difficulty. Um, and Becky talked about this in her talk a few weeks ago. I listened to it um, a couple of weeks ago when I was on a, on a drive somewhere and it's so powerful listening to someone's reality, someone's story of this was what happened in my life and I had to work out how was I going to respond and how was I going to recover and get out of this. And do you know what? It is possible. Becky is a, an example of, of, and there's many people in this room who are, who are examples of people who have faced hardship and difficulty and tragedy but have managed to, to pull themselves up out of the dirt and, and keep going. It's not to say she's not flippant, she's not going, hey, I've got it all sussed, I, I navigated this stuff. It is a daily struggle and it is a daily um, ache and, and a grief that she lives with all the time and other people have got exactly that as well. But the reality is you can pull yourself out of that and when we choose to embrace God and cling on to him, it, it, we are able to pull ourselves out of those situations and be able to to keep going. And that's what sometimes it feels like, isn't it? Sometimes it's just about keeping on going. Um, 
But that's the reality and that's the promise that he won't leave us. He will always be with us. And God promises to be with us throughout so much of the Bible. It, those, those, that term and those phrases are littered throughout so many stories and we can cling on to that to know that that is the truth, that whatever is going on, he will be there. And when we connect with that and realise that he is alongside us in everything that we do, when we embrace that, he's able to guide us and shape us much more effectively than if we try and go it alone. And that's the biggest challenge. When we try and do it by ourselves, that's often when we become unstuck and when we start to struggle. And when we can practice patience, because that's what it takes in these situations, when we practice patience, we begin to see that other fruits grow alongside that. Peace comes in patience. Um, Self-control grows in patience. Kindness begins to flourish when we practice patience. The fruit of the spirit is kind of almost interconnected as we pursue God and, and we allow that to start kind of growing in our lives. So the big question is, how do we do it? How do we become more patient? Sadly, I haven't got a little uh, bag of pills that will fix it for us today. There's no quick fix. But the whole point of this series is not about giving us a magic, um, a magic kind of scenario of if we do this every day, we will now we will now kind of have this fruit growing in our lives. There are things that you can do that will help you. But the reality is, the whole point of this series is to understand that when we pursue God and we hand these struggles and these things to him, the byproduct is the fruit begins to grow. And we know that because we can read about examples of that in various kind of parts of, of the Bible. Uh, Philippians 4 Verses six to seven in the message says this, and I love the way it says it. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. And that's the truth for each of us, that if we can be people who proactively take our lives and our struggles and our difficulties to God, the reality is what comes alongside it is, is this, I love the way it talks about it, this wholeness, this sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. That's the byproduct of, of including God and pursuing him um, and, and yeah, just involving him in everything that you do in your life. So that's the message for today. If we want to be patient, let's be people who pursue God, involve him, allow him to shape you. But also never forget the importance of the people that, that are placed around you, that God has often placed around you and the role that they have to play in your life. Because sometimes we battle, don't we? And desperately try and solve all these things in our own kind of confused, overwhelmed mind. And actually sometimes there's people right around us, if we just shared the reality of what was going on could help us to navigate that and help us to work it out or give us their perspective on it that maybe is a little clearer than what we've got going in our own minds. So I apologise, I haven't got a magic formula for patience today. 
Um, but hopefully that's given us some stuff to think about. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together today. I pray that um, if patience is a, a struggle and is an issue for us, God, I pray that you would help us to bring that to you. Um, I suppose ask for your, um, your guidance and your peace and, and that calm, that sense of calm to, to come over us in, in those situations where we're finding things really difficult and it's really hard to be patient. God, when you're involved you do change things and I just pray that we would be really open as individuals to to not get just completely obsessed with what we think needs to happen but actually just try and hand that stuff over to you and allow you to to speak into those situations because as Philippians says God when we give that stuff to you you bring us that sense of of peace and calm and there's a sense of of godly wholeness that comes into those situations and God that's what we all need in our lives and in our situations so God um, I pray you would you would be with us you'd help us to realize we're not the only ones struggling with this stuff as well and God surround us with the right people who can just completely empathize with what we're going on and maybe they've got wisdom that can really help us but God I pray that you would um, you'd just be so uh, present and um, yeah, just available in our lives and, and so there for us as we try and work this stuff out in, in the reality of our everyday lives. So be with us now. Amen. Cool. I hope that made sense.